Last week, we talked about the world without God. And we're looking at Romans chapter 1, if you want to follow along. So this is kind of a two-part lesson. So this is part two of that lesson, if you want to review it from last time or go see it again. You can look up the Vimeo or you can find it on the podcast. We we started by... Uh, the reason that this is important is because uh, one of the things that the, the church does, I, I think, is is uh, sets the the moral compass. Uh, human beings easily skew that one way or the other. In fact, Isaiah says, "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil." There are times in which human beings lived, and I would say this is arguably one of those times uh, where we flip things around. Uh, pretty much 180 degrees. So the job of the church is to, to, to calibrate, to remind God's people of, of what's really true and the right ways and the wrong ways and all of that. So in doing that, you have to deal with sin. Uh, sin's not an easy subject to deal with because uh, when you're dealing with sin, you're dealing with people. Every person struggles with different sins, and um, I don't know what all of yours are, but I know what all of mine are, and you know, invariably, when you preach from this book, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit on the one that's yours. And so, we do that not to uh, be harsher on any one sin than another. That's not the purpose. The purpose is just to identify what things are actually sin. In a world where there's a lot of sin that's celebrated and promoted as good, the job of the preacher is to remind the people that, that despite what the world says, God still says it's not good. He's, there's plenty of good things, um, but when a world is given up to sin, and we talked about this last week, that the wrath of God is revealed, it's revealed against the works of sin, suppressing the truth about God, refusing to acknowledge the plain evidence of God in nature, being ungrateful, being unthankful, all of those are symptoms of godlessness. Uh, then we walked into the wages of sin, uh, where it begins to affect not just um, the behaviors and the outward actions, but the inside. The, the, our thinking becomes few, futile, our hearts become darkened, and we become self-deceived. So that's in uh, two minutes what we talked about last time. You want to go through that in depth uh, you can do that on your own time. We we continue tonight wrapping up uh, the wages of sin and then extending our study. So we're in verse 21 through 23 of Romans chapter 1, and this is what the Scripture says in those verses. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise that became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we'll stop there. So we talked about last time that um, we, we, when we go down the path of sin, one of the first things that's changed is our thinking. It becomes, um, you know, so last time, here's the, when we partook of the of the fruit in the garden, you got to remember what tree that was from. There were two trees, the tree of life, and then the fruit fruit of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We partook of the second one, 
Now, what exactly the knowledge of good and evil, well, it's impossible to, for us to understand what we were like before the partaking of that. But some examples, I think, are children. Children are very innocent. Uh, they have no uh, knowledge. They have no guile. They, they, are, they have no, uh, typically don't have a lot of arrogance, pride. All of that is kind of part of our innocent stage of life. Uh, to some degree, if you've ever worked with uh, Special Olympics, uh, those with special needs, uh, they, they have a very much an innocence to them. Um, uh, so, I think personally, this is just my interpretation of it, that before the knowledge of good and evil, we were something like that. Something with that sort of innocence. But, since we partook, now we've got enough knowledge. The, their eyes were open, the scripture says, and they were given enough knowledge to know, but not enough knowledge that God has. Not the, not the same amount of knowledge that God has. So we know enough to know things, but we, we don't know enough to figure everything out. That's the curse that we live in. Has you ever struggle with feeling like you don't know enough? Well, that's, that's part of the curse um, that came with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Also came with that sin. An understanding, awareness of our sin, our nakedness before God, our, our sinful condition and fallen condition. So our thinking becomes futile when we, ever since that point. The second is our hearts become uh, are darkened. God's knowledge is full and eternal. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. However, when God's rejected, man becomes the highest source of knowledge. I, I was thinking about this this morning, because with the, the, the lesson, I, like I said, I really do enjoy the subject of science. I think God's world is fascinating from the biggest, the, the galaxies, the universe, the stars, all of that, all the way down to the cells. It's all fascinating, and there's nothing wrong with the scientific study of it. But the word science, the root of that means knowledge. Well, science is our knowledge. It's our discovering what God already put into place. So, you know, when gravity was discovered, well, that was a movement in the direction of science, but God they always knew that. That was always fundamental truth. So science is always changing and growing. Science can be imperfect. Science can be, you know, there was a time in which if you got a pretty bad sickness, they'd take it to the doctor and the doctor would, would remove some of your blood. Because they thought at the time the science was that the blood had these poisons in it. If you were sick, you had too much and need to let some out. Well... That's not a real good cure if you know anything about science uh, or if you know anything about Scripture. God said the life of the creature is in the blood. So the Bible's not a book of science, but when it speaks to areas of science, it's very much accurate. Uh, we find out things. Uh, there's a... Uh, can't think of his title right now, but a famous doctor who was reading Psalm chapter 8 about the swim, the, the, all that swim in the paths of the sea. And he started thinking about the paths of the sea and the, and he studied that out and discovered ocean currents, superhighways of the sea that allow species swim to get through the water much faster. Ships can use those today to sail across wide, 
vast arrays of water much more quickly, use less energy. So, um, when, we, when we become, when we remove God from the picture, the problem is, is that we become the highest source of knowledge. And true knowledge and true wisdom acknowledges that there's higher knowledge than us. There's, there's stuff that we can't know. Some of the most smartest, educated, brilliant minds I've ever known have a great sense of humility about them. And that inevitably comes because as they study, they realize they're just reaching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what's, what they can know and what they can understand and what they cannot. So, because our knowledge is limited and partial, when we become the highest source of knowledge, we're going down the wrong path. Uh, Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes pleasure and they, takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. I know we don't see much of that in our world today, but there was a time, if you can believe it, when people expressed their opinions freely and claimed to know things they didn't understand. So, in doing that, where we get that now is our heart, our mind is affected, our heart is affected, and so we have become self-deceived. Claim to be, to be wise, we become foolish. Proverbs 14, following along, verses 7 through 9. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at guilt at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. Uh, Sinful people are, are so prideful in themselves and their own knowledge that they don't need God. Um, well, it was an atheist church, which still, I don't think they got the marketing right on that one, but they put up billboards and they, they talk about, are you happy without God? Are you fulfilled without God? Was the rhetorical question on the billboard. And the question, the answer was put below, many people are. Join us. You know. Well, that's, uh, that's fools mocking at the guilt offering. Fools mocking at the idea of sin and a holy God and uh, atonement for sin and the gospel and uh, the resurrection and the return. All of that's mockery to them. They exchange the glory of an immortal creator for the mundane of finite creatures. I mean, it's really kind of sad if you think about it. If this world is the, is the best there is, man, that's it's kind of depressing. I mean, I know we live in a beautiful world, and I know as we sung this morning, this is our Father's world, um, but I'm just of the belief that there are much, much better things ahead. Um, this, this small point here in, in Romans that I want to remind us on. He says, they, verse, uh, the, 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 they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We're made to worship. We're made in the image of God. We're made for the glory of God. And because of that, we're made to worship. 
We have something within us that longs to worship something, something, anything. Now, I think that's only fulfilled, I know that's only fulfilled when we worship the holy and righteous God that we read about in Scripture. But if we don't worship God, you're going to worship something. You're going to worship animals. Some people really do. They, they set animals on a, on a pedestal. They worship the created things. This to them is God. They worship the earth. Uh, and there's, there's all sorts of examples of that. But probably the one that's easiest to slip into is the worship of ourselves. And that's the culture we live in today. That's the, that's, we put self as the highest thing to be worshipped. Well, the scripture doesn't mention everything possible that you could worship. I'm sure you could make a much longer list. But you need to understand that worshipping anything other than God is a foolish exchange. Exchanging for the, the glorious, for the mundane. The eternal for the everyday. The infinite for the finite. It's a bad trade. Okay, so now we're in verses 24 through 32. Here are, here are the results. When, when men go down this road and they begin to suppress God's truth and refuse to acknowledge God and they're ungrateful and they're unthankful toward God, the results of that are their thinking becomes futile, their hearts become hardened, they become self-deceived, and they begin to exchange all of the glory of God for things that are not worth worshiping. As a result of all that, the following things happen. These are the results. Verses 24 through 32. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the create the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see to acknowledge God, they, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they, do not, uh, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So we'll finish the rest of this this time on this thought. There's a lot here. 
versus the idea that God gave them up. That God didn't give up, but God gave them up to what they all to what they already wanted. Uh, a follower of God says to God, "Thy will be done." The enemy of God is the one God looks down and says, "Your will be done." He gives them the natural results of where their sin was headed. And <laughs> you remember the story in Luke 15, the prodigal? We talked about this tonight in our small group. Well, we talked about Luke 15, not the prodigal son. But uh, the father let his son leave. He, you know, in that culture, dad, give me my inheritance, is saying, hey, you're not going to see me again. It's kind of like you're not even here, almost like you've died. So I'm leaving, and I'd really like a check when I go. Now, this was the height of uh, complete disrespect to the father. The father doesn't try to hold... He loves his son. He, of course, wants his son to, to remain in his home, but he lets his son leave, knowing the danger and the sin and all that awaited him, knowing that... There wasn't anything outside of his father's house that was really good, that would be a blessing to the son. And yet, knowing all of that, the father let his son leave. I think this is the idea of God gave them up. God still loves them. God still wants them to be saved. But God forces no one into heaven. He's done everything he can to keep you out of hell, but but he will not force you into heaven. And if you're willfully wanting to walk away from God. As much as he doesn't want to, he will let you go. So what do they walk into? Well, the scripture says lots of things. First is to promiscuity, to sexual immorality and impurity. Sex is not a, a sin. Sex is a gift to mankind. It was given to men and women by God. Uh, and it's for lots of different reasons, procreation and unification and enjoyment. But, but that gift, like all of God's gifts, was meant to be used in a certain way at a certain time. He designed it to be within the covenant of marriage. Um, it's powerfully constructive. It, it bonds together physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, that happens in the gift of sexual relations. But human beings, I, I think more by the, the enemy's tempting, are tempted to use sex in ways that God didn't design sex to be used. And outside of the covenant of marriage. So when it's misused, as all of God's blessings, whenever they're misused, uh, it's powerfully destructive. Um, and we can see that in our culture today. You know, no one talks much about STDs anymore. Not a real popular thing to talk about, but just watch TV for a few minutes, pay attention to the commercials. What are drug companies selling drugs for? One of many things is sexually transmitted diseases. Those things stay with you for a lifetime. That's not God's will. That's what happens when you go outside of God's plan. There's emotional damage that happens there. Uh, 
go too much into the biology of it, but when you bond with someone in a sexual way, you bond with them. There's an imprint made on your brain. And when you don't remain in relationship and in covenant like you're supposed to do in the marriage covenant, there is something torn away from your brain that's a part of another person and it hurts. And it, it hurts deeply. Now, divorce, and most divorced people will tell you. There's a lot of damage done in that process. Now, I want to be careful here. You know, God, God does hate divorce, the scripture says, but it doesn't say he hates divorced people. He hates what divorce does. I'm a product of a divorce. Not a product of a divorce, but my parents are divorced. Okay, And I can tell you today, you know, 40 years after they were divorced, there's still wakes in, and ripples in my life as a result of that tearing away. That's why God doesn't like it. That's why God hates it, because it hurts us. Um, you know, the, 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 the homosexual uh, sex... That, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but all of these things are outside of what God designed. Fornication, adultery. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Scripture's pretty clear on that. God doesn't take it lightly. Not because he's just waiting to pounce as soon as you mess up. Because he knows it hurts you. Probably one of the silent epidemics in our world is pornography. It ruins people before they even enter into a covenant. It so warps their mind and their thinking that when it comes time to be in covenant, and to have relations that are natural. It's so unlike what's, in the, uh, what's pictured in pornography. It is destroying marriages. It keeps husband and wife apart mentally, physically. It, it, it's the number one reason... We have so much human trafficking in our world. Little girls being kidnapped and doing horrible things too. Because, because people engage in that. And the thinking is, the world's thinking is, well, it's harmless. It doesn't hurt anybody. And you need to know that's a, that's a lie from your enemy who hates you. Hurts you deeply. Second thing that God gives them up to is perversion. The first was promiscuity, second is perversion. Uh, it says, dishonoring their bodies, natural functions to depraved ones. Um, this might get us flagged on YouTube, I don't know, but <laughs> homosexual behavior and activity is dishonorable. It dishonors what God created the body to do naturally. It's shameful. 
It's unnatural. Spiritually, that when you engage in that, it, it affects you. It riddles you with depression and anxiety. Some of the highest amount of suicide in our culture comes from those who practice homosexuality regularly. Physically, there are certainly uh, diseases and things which exist exclusively in those who practice that behavior. HIV, AIDS, you heard about monkeypox. Nobody talks about that, but, but that, that disease is something that is exclusive to homosexual behavior. Um, now, let me pause because this whole lesson is not about that, but same-sex attraction is different. It's, you know, there's one thing being attracted to someone of the same sex and another thing to act on it. It's the same way the, you know, the scripture tells me as a, as a man there's only one place for heterosexual activity and that's in the covenant of marriage. Now, heterosexual attractions okay, are, are different <laughs> that, than actually committing the act. And so, if you're a person who struggles with same-sex attraction, um, the best thing I can encourage you to do is the, the thing I would encourage anyone to do with any sinful, unnatural desire, and that is to resist it, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, to, to, to avoid temptation as much as possible. Don't go into areas or be with people to whom you are attracted uh, certainly don't give in to alcohol and drugs and things that make you lose your inhibition and your self-control. And in all of those things, if you yield to the attraction and you commit the sin, there's always the option of repentance, confession. You can be healed from that and you can be freed from that. Okay? As all sin, that's the hope of the gospel. We can't get there unless we acknowledge it's sin. We have to start with identifying sin as sin before we can ever get to the hope of salvation in the gospel. Okay, so we've got prom- promiscuity, uh, perversion. He says depraved thinking. Um, the God gave them over, claiming to be fools, exchanged the glory of immortal God for the images uh, God gave them over to the dishonoring of their bodies and themselves. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. God gave them up for unnatural relations, women with women, men with men. And they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. A mind that is so far entrenched in sin. I'm not talking about struggling with sin, being sinful, having sin in your life day to day. I'm talking about a person who intentionally, purposely, repeatedly, again and again, ignores God, goes towards sin, flees from God instead of fleeing from Satan. That, that warps your mind. And, and a mind so far gone into sin that it cannot accurately discern between right and wrong. 
the heart, Jeremiah says, is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, it, the, the moral compass becomes skewed, as we talked about earlier from Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good. Woe to those who call good evil. Those who put darkness for light, light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Okay, So that's really the, one of the most horrific things is that you get your, your moral compass inverted. You don't have the ability to think. Um, trying to think of an example uh it's only one that's you know i mean certainly you know we're at a point in our culture where homosexuality as a behavior is celebrated it is um you know something you should be proud of they have a whole month for pride which you've to understand pride is as quite a sin from a biblical perspective um that's depraved thinking that's celebrating what's evil. You know, uh, the, I mentioned abortion this morning. There was a thing on social media some years ago, shout your abortion. Be proud of that, women. Talk about every single abortion you've had, every child you've killed. Be proud of that. How do you get there? I can't even, I can't even fathom that level of evil. Well, that's depraved thinking. You can't fathom that. Can a person in in depraved thinking be turned? Absolutely. That's the power and the hope of Jesus Christ. They can be redeemed. It it can be, um, your compass can be returned back to what God, but that only happens through the gospel. It's not through human efforts. So, depraved thinking and to every kind of wickedness is the last one he uh, mentions. Wickedness never stops. Evil never gets tired. Depravity is never done. Um, And um, we should be always on guard against evil. We're never, you know, if you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall. Evil's everywhere, and it will seek you. Um, The warning (laughs) to Cain. Sin is crouching. It desires to have you. This is what God told Cain. It desires to have you. So never compromise with evil. Evil takes as much as territory as it can, and it keeps pushing, and it keeps pushing, and it keeps pushing. And if evil can get into one part of your heart, it, it, it just begins to take territory over and over and over again. So don't compromise with evil. Set your boundaries firm and clear. Um, in Genesis 6, we're told that the Lord saw, this is right before the flood, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. As that is <laughs> wickedness when it flooded the whole earth, which is why God flooded the whole earth, because it was everywhere. It was in our thoughts, it was in our hearts. It, it, in fact, the scripture goes on to say it grieved God. That he had made man. So, in Romans 1, Paul gets very specific. He lists about 20 specific sins. And he says, this is where evil goes. This is how evil grows. This is what we see. You know, evil will never stop. You know, you think it's, you know, 30 years ago, it was... um, 20 years ago, 20 or 30 years ago, it was, you know, 
homosexual marriage. They thought, man, that's evil. We didn't think it could go any farther than that. Well, it's gotten a lot farther than that. Okay? We're at, we're at the level, of, we're at the alphabet level of evil now. Okay? Um, we think it can't get any worse than that. You watch. <laughs> evil always gets worse. That's why Paul lists all these specific sins, not to give us a comprehensive list of sin, although those are sins, but to make the point that when God gives you up, evil takes over and it it just goes throughout the whole person, it goes throughout the whole heart, it gets within a city, within a nation, and it always grows and it never stops. And the only way to stop it is through God. Okay, so... After all this inspiring word, <laughs> I hope you're not fully depressed. Uh, what's the answer? What do we do now that we're all uh, pretty discouraged? Uh, I want to try to give you four pack practical things that I think will be helpful for you. Number one, avoid evil. Avoid evil. And you say, well, how in the world can we avoid evil? We live in a world of evil. First Thessalonians 5, 22 and 23 says, abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be cut blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) When you are presented evil, whether it's on your phone or television or in your ears or with a person, uh, wherever you see evil, just take the Joseph approach, okay? When he was approached by Potiphar's wife, he fled as fast as he could. I, I, I think Christians would do well to flee as fast as we can. And it's harder than you think to flee because there's podcasts that probably aren't good for us to be listening to. Uh, there's stuff on Netflix and Hulu that we, we know we shouldn't watch, but we do. And, and we're seeding ground little by little to the enemy. So avoid that if you can. Keep yourself pure Keep your mind pure and your heart pure and know that it's through the sanctification of Jesus that we can become totally pure. We can't, we can't totally escape evil and we can't remove all the impurities in our hearts, but we can, on a daily basis going forward, choose what kind of person we're going to be. Whether we're going to get as close as we can to evil or that we're going to get as far away as we can. Number two, <clears throat> be careful. 1 Corinthians ten twelve mentioned this verse earlier. Therefore, anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. Okay, he's talking to Christians here. By the way, if you think, you know, can anyone, can anyone fall from grace? Yes, they can. Okay, you can't, you know, but they, they can choose to, to walk away from Jesus. They can choose to follow the evil path. So he warns against this, as does all of Scripture. Once saved, always saves is a very comforting doctrine. It's just not a biblical one. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So be be careful. Avoid evil. Pay attention to things. You're not immutable to temptation or impervious to it, rather. Um, but when you're tempted, God will provide a way out, and so take care to look for the way out. God forbid there was a fire in here someday, okay? 
you should look for the way out. We got these doors at each over here. We got these little signs that say exit, exit, exit. That's what being careful is. Look for the way out. Sometimes it's just physically leaving. Uh, sometimes it's choosing not to engage. Sometimes it's shutting off your phone. Sometimes it's stopping whatever you're watching. Number three, come to Jesus. Come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In my view, I know that sin always seems attractive and pleasurable at first. But I think in the long run, it's exhausting. I think it wears us out. I think it weighs us down with things God never intended us to be weighed down with. And... If we want to be freed from that, I think the only true reprieve from sin is to come to Jesus. And that's Romans chapter 1. The struggle with sin and the answer, of course, which is the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, your word uh, hits us square in the chest sometimes. Cuts through... uh, Layers and layers of a calloused heart and a, and a world that sins sick and no doubt has been convicting to us, to those of us here, to those of us watching. Uh, Father, for the sin in our lives, we repent. Father, we want to have a pure mind and a pure heart. We want to have a, a right relationship with you. We don't want to be given up to debased thinking and we want to be able to think clearly. Uh, We know you want what's best for us, Lord. And that's why, of course, you sent Jesus so that we could be delivered from that from which we could not deliver ourselves. We thank you for the sanctification that we receive through Christ, for the atonement from sin that he gave us at the cross. And Father, I pray that as we live our lives this week and all the weeks to come, that we would live in such a way that we yield our lives, our hearts, our minds, our behaviors, our actions, our attitude fully to you. And I pray that you forgive us for our sins, of which there are many. Um, Forgive us for where we are fall short. Give us wisdom to do better, to grow wiser in fleeing from evil and paying attention, being careful. Father, I pray for each of us as we, as we do work out our sanctification with fear and trembling, uh, that, we, that we do so understanding your love for us, for your truly your desire to have eternity with us, to be at home with us, for us to be at home with you. and We long for that as well. Father, we know we live in a world full of evil, and that can be very discouraging at times. Help us to keep our eyes and hearts fixed on things above and not on things below. And Lord, please, uh, there are so many lost, and we pray for their hearts, we pray for their minds, and we we want them to see salvation too. We want them to know your Son. Uh, Lord, use this church.
to reach the lost in Wichita, however that might be. Um, use us individually at our places of work or at our places of influence and impact. We want to reach the lost because you love them and because we know that you love them, we want to love them too. So, Father, may we never um, cease our passion and love for those who do not know Christ. Father, you know them, each and every one, and so lead us to them this week. Help us to share the reason for the hope that we have through your Son. We thank you for this time together to sing, to pray, to think about your word, and to be reminded of who you are and how much you love us. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love us because of your Son. And it's through his name that we offer this prayer and our service tonight. Amen.